Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I am Carl Jensen, and I am here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a very special guest today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm MK Williams. I've been in and around the Fi community for a while, I guess since it started being called the Fi community. I don't know. We've been doing this uh, for eight years now. Um, and I'm an author. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Author Your Ambition, where I talk all about authory publishing things. And I have had the pleasure of knowing Carl for several years now. Um, we met up at a Camp Fi several years ago, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about Fi nerdery type things. Awesome. So you've been around since the beginning. Like, Can you put a year on it if you had to? So we found Fi right around like 2013, 2014. Um, I know we found the concept of Fi when we were engaged. Um, and we were looking at, you know, oh, this great idea of, you know, saving um, money and all those things. And I was like, we've already paid for the wedding. We're not undoing it. <laughs> we've already paid the deposits. We're just going to finish and then we'll we'll start really getting serious about it afterwards. Um, but my husband and I, we met um, in 2010. We were both we had quite a bit of debt. We paid it off within two years. And then we said, well, what do we do now? <laughs> um, and so kind of looking for what to do with our money other than just, I guess we'll try a new restaurant every month and we'll, you know, maybe upgrade our travel. Um, we finally found the concept of FI and, and that really clicked with us. So we've been pursuing FI ever since and um, have evolved our lifestyle continually since that point. I'd like to ask one question and then we'll back up a second. We'll go to the Wayback Machine mm -hmm. and learn about your childhood. But were you, it sounds like you both were on the same page when you found Phi. So my question is, is that true? And how did you discover Phi? Yeah. So we were definitely on the same page. I mean, when we met, we were both very frugal people. Um, and I think that's actually why a mutual friend introduced us. I think he was like, oh, I know. This, this MK seems kind of stingy. I've got a guy for her. <laughs> um, so we were both just very frugal people, very focused on paying off debt. I had over $20,000 in student loan debt. Um, he had a mortgage and he signed the dotted line on it right um, in 2007 before the first drop. So we both were very stressed wanting to get out of that debt. Um, and so we were on the same page. And so we're out of debt finally, two years later. And I was just like, well, maybe we could retire early. And I, I forget which of us said it, but like the other one was like, there's no way. There's no way we're saving that much money. And so we just kind of went along. And then I found an article one day um, online that said, treat your debt like your hair's on fire by Mr. Money Mustache, which is funny. Everybody else finds him through his other main article, but we found him that way. And I sent it to my, at the time, boyfriend, now husband. And I was like, haha, we did that. Okay. Um, and that was it. And then like a couple months later, he found um, early, early retirement extreme. Um, and then we kind of just took it from there. Um, so that was our introduction. And um, I think seeing uh, what ERE did and everything that he outlined, we were like, well, we could try this. But like, I think day one was like, just only eat rice and lentils. Day two was like, sell your home. And I was like, we're going to talk through these. We're not going to do the full 30 day plan in 30 days. Um, but it was it was a really fun thought experiment when we were looking to do something more meaningful with our extra money than just spending it on like consumer things. We've always valued experiences over things. And so it was easy to get on the same page with that. What is your, so it sounds like you've been frugal your whole life. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. 
And oh, you yeah. attribute this to your upbringing? Uh, how did your parents raise you? Where did you, how did you come to be the, this way? Yeah. How did I turn into such a weirdo? Um, so my mom, um, she raised me as a single mother, I think till I was like seven or eight. Um, so she was had had to be frugal, right? You know, she had to clip coupons, things had to go further. She was one of eight children. So I think she knew how to be frugal because her parents also had to make a dollar stretch. So, you know, I think I I would I just took to it naturally wanting to save. I knew there were things that um, were out of our price range. So my mom didn't have to say often we can't afford that. I just kind of could tell. Um, so I think anytime I had allowance or birthday money, I just kind of hoarded it for that rainy day, um, not knowing what that would be. Um, and then, you know, when she married my stepdad, things obviously got a bit easier financially, but he was also very much like you save your money, you pay yourself first, um, you live within your means, things like that. So they were very good at, at modeling that for me. And then I think I just took it to like the next level because I, I think by the time I was a teenager, I started to realize like, well, did they have enough? Because I realized like they pay for a lot of things for me. Do they have enough for them? So I think, you know, when I got to college, I wanted to get extra jobs. I wanted to do things. So I didn't have as much debt because I knew that I, I may need to be helping them one day. And um, that day hasn't come, thankfully. Um, but that was definitely something I was aware of. Okay. You said one thing that uh, really, uh, I think is very cool. You said, even as a child, you were saving for something and you didn't know what you were saving for. I, that that's pretty advanced because I don't think a lot of adults can do that. A lot of adults, if they can save at all, they're like, oh, I'm saving for this or this. And But that's kind of what fire is about. You're putting money away and you don't know what it's going to be for. It could equally be for something great or it could be for, for something bad. You never know, but you know it's there and that it'll be there when you figure out what that money is going to go to. So yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's a question or if you have any additional <laughs> comments on it, but I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I would see in like the toy catalogs, like the toys that were more expensive. And I think, oh, I'll save for that. And then by the time I did, there was a bigger, better toy or a bigger, better item. And then, you know, beepers were big when I was a kid and then cell phones and, and things like that. So the, the expensive toys were around when I was too young to be able to afford them. And then my parents were like, well, if you get a cell phone, you have to have a plan. You have to pay every month. You have to pay for the minutes. And so I was like, I need to keep saving. So I can do that. And then eventually they, I got a driver's license and they were like, well, you need to have a cell phone so you can call us for emergencies. So I was like, ha, work with the system <laughs> with my sweet Nokia little brick phone. <laughs> I had one of those too. Now, when you were you know, frugal, even it sounds like as a teenager, do you have any maybe funny stories where you cut back or you were being frugal and being weird as a teenager and if you don't have an answer right away, we can come back to it. I'm sure you, you'll think of something later. Oh, yeah. I've got tons of this. So um, my friends lived um, in this cute little town. And from my best friend's house, you could walk into town and go to some of the restaurants and things like that. So obviously, we're teenage girls. You know, we're having a sleepover. We're going to make mac and cheese. We're going to make popcorn. We're going to make cake. So I would eat all that stuff. And then they'd be like, oh, let's go into town and go to this restaurant. And I'd be like, sure. And I'd get there and I'd just order water. And I was like, all right, I ate. I'm full. I'm good. And they were like, do you don't want to try this? I was like, no. I'm good because like i don't i'm not gonna pay i'm full i already ate the food that we had so that was definitely people were like you're like are you like this is ridiculous and i was like i'm full yeah. i already ate food i'm not gonna you know pay what? for food that, that's a great one i forgot i used to do that too um and i completely forgot yeah i would go to restaurants i'm like ah, i'm just gonna get water or i'd order like one thing and be really weird and awkward about it so i had uh <laughs> 
This reminds me of a story. This happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I went out to, I went for a hike with a friend and then we went to uh, a place in Boulder for, for breakfast and we get there and he's like, you know, I just want this $5 bowl of whatever. And he's a big guy and he had an eating yet. And I'm like, Sean, are you hungry? He's like, ah, this is all I'm going to get. I'm like, okay, Sean, this is whatever. I got like this massive omelet thing. And so then we're in the car home. We're in the car. We're driving back. And he's like, girl, I've got a question for you. I'm like, what's up? He's like, we had dinner with you last night. Do you have any leftovers? I'm like, oh, I see how this is working out. And I don't really care. I'm in this community. But I could see if it wasn't someone who appreciated uh, these money habits that they, they might have been a little bit angry, like, well, you don't want to order any food there. You're just going to eat all my food when you get back back to the house. So did you ever struggle with that? Did any of your friends like get, get mad at you besides thinking you were a little bit off or something? Like I don't that? think they got mad. I think they were kind of like, oh, like, are you just being like difficult to be difficult? And I was like, no, like, I've got 20 bucks to last for the next two months. Like, I'm not, um, you know, because that was about what allowance was going for those days. So, um, you know, I think they they would kind of make faces. But then, like, when I was able to participate, like, when we all got concert tickets to go to a concert together, I was like, oh, well, like, I bought them myself. I didn't have to go ask my parents. Like, I saved up for it. And they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, so, so I remember as a kid, I had all these chores to do. I had to pick up the dog poop. I had to trim the hedges. I had to mow the lawn. It was probably multiple hours worth of work and I got paid $2 a week for all this stuff. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a good wage. My, uh, it wasn't a good wage even back then. Did you have chores? Uh, and it sounds like your, your uh, pay was kind of similar, 20 bucks over two months. Yeah. Well, that was by the time I got to high school, when I was in grade school, it was like five bucks for a month. You know, it was, I had to pick up, yeah, all the sticks in the yard. So my dad could mow the yard. I had to clean up around the house. I had to clean all the dishes after dinner. I definitely had a lot of chores and there would be like surprise chores that would pop up. Like, you know, like there would just be like something going on. There'd be like an, a not normal thing to clean out. My parents were like, why did you clean that up? And I'm like, well, it wasn't on my toilet. So they're like, but you saw it was dirty. You should have cleaned it. And I was like, oh, okay. So um, yeah, definitely uh, chores and expected to help out with the household. To, to earn my allowance. Yeah, it's good. Those low-wage jobs or allowances help you appreciate money. And if you had to work hours to earn a dollar, you're going to, you're sure it's all going to save that. Or at least mm -hmm. I think we did. You went to school, right? You went to college, university? What did you study? I did. Yeah, um, I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia. I studied economics oh. and American studies. And I thought I was going to either be a lawyer or a mathematician or a policymaker. Economics seemed like a good door to anywhere but what i quickly realized was it was a door to nowhere <laughs> it was like who needs an economics degree um i also graduated in 2010 when the job market was still abysmal um from the recession so it was not the best time to have a degree in anything um but it was it was fun i learned a lot and i actually um i, I referenced what, what i learned in my degree occasionally now as a business owner so i mean it wasn't a total waste so what did you do? You said you couldn't really find a job. What did you pivot to after that? I assume you never got a job doing what you went to school for. And I think that's a common theme with a lot of us. I did biology and chemistry and I can tell you a lot of interesting stuff that I'll pay you zero. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, so 2010, I graduated. My parents at that point had moved to Pensacola, Florida. And so I moved down and I had to call USAA to cancel my renter's insurance from Philadelphia. And, you know, they always ask me, like, well, why are you canceling? Like, what can you do to keep your business? And I said, well, I moved because I graduated college and looking for a job. So I'm living with my parents. And they said, well, we're hiring in Tampa. 
and I filled out the application and I got the job. Um, so it was a very entry level insurance agent job and a call center, right? So people called in, they needed to pay their bill, they needed to add a car, remove a car from their insurance policies. Um, so it was not at all related to my degree. Um, it was actually a job that didn't require a degree. You just had to pass your licenses as an insurance agent, um, which thankfully um, the the training program at USAA covered that. So that was nice. Um, but it was a, a crash course in uh, customer service and learning that I did not love insurance and did not want to do that job. But it was a job and it paid well. And um, what I can appreciate now looking back is that I was fully vested day one. I had health insurance day one. I totally took that for granted. Um, as somebody fresh out of college, I'd never had a full-time job like that before. I'd had part-time jobs. And so I didn't realize how unique that was as a benefit in a job. Um, because usually you have to wait 90 days to even sign up for insurance or any kind of 401k plan. It takes five years to vest. Um, they really treat, treated their employees well. I just did not love insurance, and I still do not love insurance. How long did you stick with that job? I was there for one year, um, one year exactly. And then I found another job that was closer to where I wanted to um, be. In, in college, I worked in the admissions office. Um, and so I found a, a local job that was dealing with enrollments for college um, certification programs and like Six Sigma project management. Um, and so it, it was going to be a step back financially, but I thought, well, this is closer to what I really wanted to be doing. Um, and so I, I moved to that role. Um, and ever since it was always a new year, new career for me, because um, I moved around within that company. I got several promotions and opportunities to learn marketing and um, different aspects there. And then I left that company to go to another one and used my skills there and was kind of on the, the corporate jungle gym um, learning skills uh, from there. So that was uh, a good launching point. So and did you literally like every year, year and a half, you were like moving to another job. So do you have any tips for someone um, maybe that's scared to do that? So I stuck around um, in my jobs for like maybe two years and then nine after that. And it's really easy to to be complacent and stay in one position. So yeah, can you talk about navigating that and maybe some advantages and disadvantages of hopping around? Yeah. So the nice thing was within um, those two companies after that first insurance job, I was there um, for like three to four years at, at that second one and then for like five years at the, at the third company. So it was just moving jobs a lot within. And so what was great, um, what I found helpful was like being open to talk to anybody in the company. I think a lot of people start and they're like, well, this is my team. This is my group. And I don't know what they do over there, but I was always curious about what was going on and how it impacted what I was doing. I wasn't necessarily like, peeking over like, oh, what else could I be doing? Like ignoring my current job. But I was always just trying to like be friendly with people, get to know them, express that interest. Um, and I think in a way I was very open about the fact that I was wanting to learn skills. Um, and so if there was ever a conversation, I said, well, I'm young in my career. Like I'd rather try this now and learn it than, you know, 10 years on, try to pivot. It's really hard to pivot once you've kind of picked a lane. Um, and so that was great. I, I was fortunate to have some good mentors, some good bosses who really, you know, were excited to teach me things and, and have me learn from them and um, definitely supported my career growth, which was very positive. And not everybody gets that. Not everybody finds that. So it was really good to, um, to do that. And at my last corporate job, I found a boss who was great. And I kind of stuck with him as he moved departments. Um, and I said, well, I'd rather... I, I know a bad boss can mean a bad work experience. And I was like, I don't know if I'm interested in what that job is, but I'm interested in not having a bad boss and you're a good boss. So I'll stick with you. Um, so that helped. 
Smart. And then any specific cons for that, obviously you get a diverse set of skills and work with more people in different departments. So, I mean, if you step back and you want to actually work in a corporate job, it's good for like operations and like overseeing like a lot of things. So anyway, any cons to taking such an approach? Um, yeah, so your people kind of see you as that like generalist instead of an expert. And usually to kind of advance up the levels, you need to be an expert in something, right? And so I was definitely more, more of a generalist, more of the, if you need XYZ, go to MK, because if she can't do it, she'll know the person who can because she's worked so many places here, but it wasn't necessarily getting me higher up the, the ladder. Um, and uh, it it was it was just interesting because people would kind of be like, "Well, you did this before, now you're doing this." I don't see the connection, and I and then I'd have to explain the connection. Be like, "Oh, that actually those do tie together." I'm like, "Yeah," but instead of just an elevator pitch of what do I do, and like here's my one job, I'm kind of like, "Well, this is my title, but I do like these ten things because like little tasks from the previous jobs would carry over that like that previous role wasn't backfilled." So that is a con is when you're moving within the company. Sometimes they're just like, "Well, you'll just you'll just do both for the same amount." And that's fine. Um, so that was okay. a challenge. Nice. When did corporate life end for you? How um, many years did you stay in corporate America? I'm sorry. Uh, and sorry how yeah. many years did you stay in corporate America for? Yeah. So 2019 was when I left my corporate job. So I was working full-time corporate America for nine nine years. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it was, it was time to end. Um, 2018 was when I started to really make the exit plan though. It wasn't just, I woke up one day and was like, yeah, I'm done with this. Um, my husband, and I had a lot of long conversations about what the exit plan would be, um, what would fund the exit plan, um, how that would look and kind of a lot of mental work for me because I was really tied to my corporate identity. I was a very important person at a very cool company. Um, and that was like very, very tough to let go of. And I had a pretty good salary and that was tough to let go of. So, um, we did a lot of mental work starting in 2018 to help with that. Do you have any, so this brings up something I think Doug and I were talking about, or I had a conversation with someone recently and and that is a lot of times when you're working, you might see your coworkers more than you see your wife, especially if you've got kids, you're at work, and then you come home, you, you're shuttling, you're selling kids around, you got to make food, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm thinking about what you just said, how your identity, how you felt your strong identity with your job. What advice would you give to people? Because it's true. We, we spend much of our, so many of our waking hours at our job. What is it? If you're working hard, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and how many hours are we away for? What's 16 times 7, Doug? 102? Sounds good. I'm not doing math <laughs> while we're recording. <laughs> so based on my quick estimates, we're probably, even if you just work 40 hours a week, you're probably spending about half your waking hours at your job and commuting to your job and tied up in that. So how do you extricate yourself from all of that? Um, well, the way that I did it was in 2015, I started putting out, um, books. So I've always have a life, had, have, I've always had a lifelong passion for writing, um, for, um, reading. And so I, in my spare time, would just write books and they would go nowhere. Um, and finally I said, you know, I'm going to put a book out. My husband challenged me to like, we'll just do it. Just put a book out and like, you'll learn the process and you'll see what happens. Um, and so that was growing on the side. Um, during this time. And in 20, early 2018, um, I had a conversation um, with several of our mutual friends over at Choose Fi. Um, they needed help getting a book out. They had somebody who was helping them write it. Um, Chris 
um, over at Can I Retire Yet? And they said, we need help because we're busy with the podcast. We can't read the chapters he's writing, get him feedback. Can you help us publish it? Because you've published books. Um, and I thought, yeah, cool. I can do that. Um, and so I was building this identity as an author, right? I was an author, but I really wasn't identifying yet because I was clinging on to this corporate identity. And so every year with every book I released and then helping um, the Choose Fi team get their book out, I was more and more owning that identity um, over in, in my true passion area. Um, and so when the time finally came to leave my corporate job, I wasn't just leaving to go sit at home and like try and figure it out. I you know, I finished on Friday and first thing Monday, I had like, my inbox was full with all the stuff I needed to do for books. Um, so I, I built this other identity and I, this other business really um, on, on the side. And that helped with that transition. But of course, that meant I had even less free time. Um, and so the initial conversation my husband and I had was kind of around probably Thanksgiving time 2018. Um, and he said, well, what what do you want for the holidays? What do you want for Christmas? Like, what, what are we going to do? And I was like, if there's anything I want. It's just more time. I want more time to work on my books. I want more time to help choose Fi and now these other people who are reaching out to me for help with their books. I want more time with you know you, my husband. I I, I want more time. Like that, that's the one thing I want. I was like, you can't put that under a tree though. And so that was when we really got serious about well, what would it take to um, for me to leave my corporate job? We had hit that traditional Fi mark already. We were we were past that, and so. We knew we wanted to be able to save more, though, because at that time we didn't have a family. Um, we didn't know what childcare could cost and, and all those things. We wanted to have some safety cushion. And so the idea of pulling away an income and, and stopping that very aggressive savings rate was a little scary, but we, we were able to kind of work through that together. Wow. A lot of, a lot of stuff there. So one thing, the thing that I can actually remember is... You hit the FI mark, the traditional 4% rule. You had 25 times your expenses and you were continuing to work. Can you ex can you expand on that? Like why continue to work if you had hit the mark? Mm -hmm. um, so both my husband and I en enjoyed our corporate jobs. He's still at his corporate job. He still enjoys it. I was enjoying my corporate job at the time. Um, we needed healthcare. So that was a, a big reason to stay. Um, and number two, when we looked at our, our future expenses, we said, you know, we're living pretty lean. Like, yes, we have 25 times our current expenses and then some, but do we always want to live this lean? Do we always want to take, you know, the, the last seat on the plane um, economy, have to tote everything on our backs. We're not checking bags. We're not doing this. We're staying at motels. We're, we're doing that. Or do we want to have nicer travel? Um, we didn't have kids at the time. We're like, kids aren't cheap. Diapers aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we knew that there would be this potential ballooning or increase to our expenses later. And we said, you know what, let's, let's try to get to, um, I think a lot of people define fat fire as like a, a 3% withdrawal rate. Um, I think a lot of people define differently. Like, let's try to get there. Okay, let's try to get here. Let's try to get here. We kept pushing it um, because at the time we were still enjoying work. Um, but in 2019, when I really hit a fever pitch of like day job was crazy busy, um, and I, and at that point I was really not enjoying it as much anymore. Um, my my side business was taking off and needed full time attention. I was kind of like I we didn't work this hard for me to work this hard. So um, that was that made it easy to then pull away the second my day job wasn't as enjoyable anymore. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, thanks to the Economy Conference. The Economy Conference, and that's spelled E-C-O-N-O-M-E, 
I'm not good at spelling out loud, so just bear with me. Well, it has roots in the FIRE movement. It's going to be awesome this year. Carl's actually going to be speaking, so that'll be pretty fun. And you may wonder, why attend an event about financial freedom when you can educate yourself online or listen to podcasts like this one? Well, community matters very much, and when you decide to take an unconventional path, you may need a little support. Economy gives you the opportunity to surround yourself with an engaged community of people who are doing incredible things with their finances. Whether you're well on your way to financial independence or still struggling with debt, or maybe you're a student and you're about to launch your career, Economy is a great place to uh, meet other people and get more involved in the FIRE community. And actually, we talked to Diana Merriam back in episode 14. Now, I haven't personally met her yet, not in person. And I thought we were actually going to meet at Camp Phi, but she had some travel issues and she actually did her presentation remotely, which was pretty amazing. There were no technical issues and she did a great job. So I'm looking forward to checking out Economy in November. I recently got my ticket, so I'm looking forward to attending, checking out Cincinnati. I've only been to the airport, and I'm really looking forward to getting some of that weird spaghetti chili concoction from whatever restaurant it is, but it'll be awesome. Hopefully, we'll see you there. Back to the show. Do you have any tips for people working full-time? trying to do a side hustle. I'm sure, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about here, but yeah, any quick, quick ideas? Yeah. Needing to be organized um, because you do only have so many hours in a day. And like Carl said, you're going to spend a lot of time away from your family to, to build that up. Um, And maybe that side hustle is to support something for for the family, the travel fund, paying down debt, whatever. Um, But you need to be organized with your time. And the way we really got serious about it was we just picked five things. So on Friday evenings, we would say, what were the five things I needed to do this past week for my business? Did I do those things? What are the five things I need to do next week for my business? And then we would follow up the following week. Did I do those things? And so that kept me really focused because when I had maybe, you know, a couple hours on the weekends, an hour here or two during the week, I had to make it work. I couldn't just be fiddling around like, maybe I should post on Instagram about my business. I hear that's a thing. Like it had to be very dedicated and have a purpose behind it and kind of move some of the projects forward. Um, and so I think there is a lot of information that's thrown out there at either full-time business owners or side hustlers of, oh, you got to do this. You got to listen to this podcast. You got to be doing it like this. If you're not hitting six figures, blah, blah, blah. And it's really like you need to know what you need to do for your business and what your goals are. And don't get distracted by all the shiny objects. There's lots of shiny objects for side hustlers. Don't do not do that unless your side hustle is making shiny objects. <laughs> so many shiny objects. So, I, so I've got a question for you. I'm going to put on my jerk hat, my internet retirement police hat on. So there's people who will listen to your story and say, well, you hit FI, but here you are. You, you've transitioned to another job. And what would you tell those people? How would you argue back with them? The people who say you can't ever make any more money in your life after your after you've quit your formal work, I guess I'll call it. I mean, I guess if they're gonna be a grump, they're gonna be a grump. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm having a lot of fun with my job, and and one of the things I talked about with my husband, especially because we ha- did have um, our daughter this past year, is. The, the things that I'm doing, I would do even if I wasn't paid. But now everything I do does need to justify the time that I'm away from her. 
you know, I, I want to see all those first moments. I want to be there for her. There's certain times I need to be there for her. So when I'm working on my business, when she's napping, um, which thankfully she naps, that's nice. Um, you know, it has to, it has to really pay for itself. Um, and for the people who say, oh, well, you can't work after you're tired. It's like, okay, maybe you're, you're one of the very few percentage of people who are content to just play video games or sit on the beach and do nothing. And that sounds great for about two weeks. And then real life hits and you're just kind of bored. So I would say that person's probably going to be working to do something on a project, whether they're compensated for it or not is their own their own decision. But yeah. I think I'm going to start a new branch of internet law enforcement and I'm going to call it the internet couch police. So it'll be in opposition to the internet retirement police because I think those people argue that you shouldn't work and I don't know what the hell you should be doing if you're not working because... It, work is a work is a strange term. I, I think we should separate that from a job. A job is something you have to go to. You might enjoy the core task you're being paid for, but you might not like where you have to go. You might not like your boss. You might not like the meetings and all that. Whereas our core work, I think most of us actually enjoy doing it. And Doug and I are working right now and we're doing it for free. Actually, we're paying money to do this, all the equipment we've bought. But we're doing it because we enjoy it. And it might make money. It, it might never make money. I hope it does make money sometime, Doug. But uh if not, that would be fine too, because we're having a, a good time, and uh, that's what's important. So, what does a normal work week look like for you now? Um, I don't think I've ever had a, a normal week necessarily. So, during the course of the week, um, I'm working with different clients to help them get their books out. So that can be anything from reminding them. You got to get your book done. You got to write it. That's the hardest part. Um, helping them um, with some of the editing, getting some of the logistics set up for distribution um, and things like that. So really coaching them through the process so that way they can finally hold their book up and say, I'm done. Um, so that's one part of what I do. For my own books, it's writing. It's, it's all the same things, right? It's writing, um, editing, working on some of the marketing, working on the logistics. Um, so a lot of that is time in front of my computer. Um, I have a YouTube channel. So some days I get to have some fun and actually do my hair and makeup because I'm a mom now. So usually it's just mom bun and sweats. Um, but when I'm recording videos for my YouTube channel and, and editing those, that, that's a fun day. Um, but it's always a little bit different. Um, I try to minimize the number of meetings I have. Um, just because on any given time, like a second in time, I can tell you if I'm available for a meeting. But if I told somebody next week on Tuesday, I'm like, I don't know, B baby girl could be crying that time. Like baby girl could be teething. Like I don't, good luck. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely try to, to keep it simple. And my work day has condensed considerably. It's really just when she's napping that I'm able to get work done. Um, so that's that's been a, a challenge. But again, I have to be more efficient with my time. So that's, it's kind of a, just tackle the most important things work week. From, I guess, like the coaching standpoint and, and working with clients, how many people do you typically work with? Is it hard to juggle um, all, all the different pieces? And maybe you could also talk about some of your project management and or planning skills. It sounds like maybe you've been organized um, for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, so project management was part of what I did um, in my corporate career. So that has lended itself well um, to this role. So I, I can usually max handle about five um, client projects at a time. I have like seven now. It's a little overwhelming, but some of them are wrapping up, which is exciting. Um, 
And so a lot of it, yeah, is, is keeping my own calendar um, and setting a lot of reminders for myself. I use a project management system. And if I am talking with somebody and they mention, oh, you know, I really want to make sure my manuscript's done before X date. When I have this family reunion, I want to focus on that. I'm going to write down that date. And then I'm going to message them two days earlier and be like, don't forget, you have to do this before the thing. Um, and so it's just taking the extra minute or two at the front end to set reminders and then executing on the tasks that I assigned myself um, to do those reminders. So that's really helpful. Um, yeah, a lot of project management goes into it. And that's ultimately what a lot of people hire me to do is to be the project manager for their book project. They've never done it before, or they feel like I could learn all the things, I could do all the things, but I have other things that I need to take care of for my business. So I'm hiring somebody just manage this project for me. And then where do you find your clients or how do they find you? I, I would actually, I won't fill in anything. Where do you find your clients? <laughs> um, so they usually um, find me through referrals. So, you know, I worked with one person, they told somebody else I'm working on a book. Oh, cool. Who's helping with that? Oh, MK. Oh, hey, MK. Here's this person. Talk to them. So um, I've actually never had to go out and like scout for leads or do any marketing in that regard. It's a lot of good word of mouth referrals, which is nice because then it's somebody I know. And at least the person who's referred them has kind of pre-qualified them to be like, are you sure you want to write a book? This is a lot of work. Because um, it's usually the first question I ask. I'm like, are you sure you want to write a book? It's a lot of work. So, Okay. And it sounds like you haven't gone the course route yet. Do you have any desire to do that? Because obviously, right, there's your training time for dollars, blah, blah, blah. If you have the course, mm -hmm. you can scale in a much bigger way. Yes, I have thought about it a lot. Um, and I was seven months pregnant and I went to my husband and I said, I have everything scripted. I know what all the things are going to be. And he was like, no, you're not taking on a new project that you're literally going to be working on as they're wheeling you into the delivery room. No. Um, so it, it is on my my long-term plan list. And, and for that reason, right, I would like to still be able to help people and serve people without literally having to be um, in front of my computer. So that's, that's kind of a long-term plan. It's one of those things where um, if I'm not going to do it, right. I don't want to do it at all. Um, and usually I'm kind of just like, ah, let me try. I'll throw it together. I'll learn on the way. But that's one of the things where um, I feel like I need to do a lot more research before I can execute on it and probably scale back on the client work so I could build that up. We should talk after I've done a few courses and okay. understand exactly what you're talking about. I'm not a perfectionist. It sounds like you may be, you try to put out really high quality work, but I mean, you see what we're doing right here. So. <laughs> Uh, Doug, I have a question for you, and then I've got a million follow-up questions for MK. So MK man mentioned a mom bun, and I've never heard that term before, although it makes sense. When you had hair, Doug, did you ever have one of those man buns, I, I think they call it? Or? No, that's exactly where the hair wasn't growing. But I guess I could sort of – it wouldn't be a comb over. It would be like a pullover. But I was just showing my wife the other day. My, uh, you can earmuff MK here um, if you want, but there's a lot of hair growing on my back. And I thought, well, if enough starts growing, there's not really that much, but if, if there's enough, maybe I can get a very, like kind of a deep comb over. <laughs> They'll have to get really long. That would be, yeah, you might want to enhance that with uh, Rogaine or one of those products. That would, that's, this is so disturbing. We took a... I'll look into it. You didn't know that we talk about... Have you listened to any episodes, MK? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you knew what might happen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Apologies yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. You're, good. You're good. Doug, maybe this is something or maybe... Is there such a thing as a back hair transplant where they could take the hair from your back or another part of your body and put it on top of your head? 
I, you know what? We'll we'll Google that and do like an image search and see what we find. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I I don't think I'm actually going to do that because I'm afraid of what I would see that we end up in a dark corner of the internet. But okay, MK. So my one thing about you is I think you could be the poster child for leveraging FI to to build a really really good life. And there's two things that stand out. The first thing is you are FI. And you stopped working before you had a child, because once you have a child, everything gets everything gets chaotic, right? You, there's mm-hmm. someone you have to feed. There's someone you might you're going to have to eventually take to school, and not having to answer to a formal job when you have children. There's so much value in that, and I'm so thankful that I get to do that in my own life. So that's the first thought. The other one, the other thing that you said, which really stuck out to me, is you had built up this other identity to move to, so you weren't gonna. You didn't have the stress of trying to figure out what you were going to do next. You didn't have to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos in your sweatpants for six months. You already had built your life. You had these hobbies or whatever you may have called it back then, side hustles. So you had something to move on to. I think you said you stopped work Friday and immediately on Monday you were back on the horse, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Absolutely. those are yeah, those are two things that have a lot of value. So my question, my first question is, have you ever messed anything up? Like, is there anything you would have done differently on your journey? Because it seems like you've done everything right in my view. Um, I don't know. I think, um, I think potentially the one, one downside to being in the FI community is of course, when I posted everywhere, Oh, I, you know, I quit my job. I'll be like, Oh, you're never working again. And I was like, no, I have a business I've been building for like two years. People were like, Oh, well then you're not really FI. And I was like, no. <laughs> okay. So it was, it was interesting to kind of be, someone who was, you know, very friendly and sociable in the community. And people were like, oh, well, I guess you're not fine anymore. And I was like, no, we, like, like we would be fine. Like if, if I stopped working completely, if my husband for some reason lost his job, which would be a shame because he loves his job, um, you know, we, we would be fine. Um, but it's one of those things where we, we want more, we both enjoy our jobs. And I think to his point, he's even said, um, you know, he, if he could just keep doing his job remote forever, He'd be like, I would never leave. He's like, why? Why would I do that? Like, it's it's good. He gets the mental stimulation from it because I think he's realized in in COVID and even last week. You know, we had a long weekend. He didn't have to work for three days. He was like, it was great. He's like, but end of day Monday, I was kind of getting a little like cagey. You know, I, I he wanted to do something. He wanted to do something more challenging. Um, and so I think he sees that if if he were to to pull the trigger on leaving his full time job and we were to just travel around the country with our baby girl or, or, or do the things we say we want to do when we're both um, not chained to a specific location. Um, and he's like, you know, I, I would get bored. You know, he he wants more to do. And so we're trying to help him b- figure that out and build that up. Um, so yes, we've been able to leverage Phi to be able to afford me pulling the plug on a nice, cushy corporate um, income. And I've been lucky enough to have enough business that I've built up a decent salary from from what I do. Um, so that feels nice to know that if if for some reason he said, nope, this job doesn't serve me anymore, that you know I could at least support us on our annual expenses so we could do our Roth conversion ladders for five years and and figure everything out. We, we, we could we could float it um, for that. So it's it's nice. It's it's very helpful, but it's definitely um, not without its challenges, like you said, of the IRP or or people saying, well, but you're not really doing the not working thing. It's like, but I don't think anybody ever stops doing what they enjoy doing. Um, yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. Why would you stop doing what you enjoy doing while you're helping people too? Yeah. So yeah. do you have any, or what strategies have you used to try and figure out what your husband would do or could do when he potentially stops working? 
Yeah. So we've we've toyed with this quite a bit. So when we first found Fi and we were super excited, we of course started a Fi blog because that's what everybody does, right? They find about Fi like, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to tell everybody about it. And about like 90% of them don't get past the post. Well, that was us. Um, so I think he realized, you know, blogging about Fi or, or financial things probably isn't going to be for him um, because immediately he's like, well, you like to write, you can write them. And I was like, I'm writing my books. I don't have time to write that. You write that. I'll write my books. Um, so I think he's realized that's not it. So we're kind of doing a process of elimination where he kind of, you know, will pick up a, an idea for a project and tinker with it. And sometimes he doesn't, you know, actually execute on trying it out. And I'm like, well, just try it. And he's like, no, I've really thought about it. I don't think that's what I want to do. So he's kind of process of elimination going through things right now. Um, and I think we have we have some ideas for things that he might want to try out and check out and, and projects we could do together. I mean, right now, our biggest project together is our baby girl. But, you know, it'll probably be, what, four years before she starts school. And it's like, OK, well, you got to find, find something to do to fill the time then. Um, and again, for as long as he enjoys his job, he'll keep doing that. Um, but once he doesn't enjoy it, then we're, we're going to have to find him a hobby, go send him out to the woods and chop down a tree and whittle a canoe or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a challenge. And my wife enjoys her job and we do get health insurance. Obviously there's benefits. So if the job's okay, cause we've, we've probably all had jobs where we didn't like the boss or the team or some piece of it was terrible. So it will be a challenge and I, I'm not sure what we'll do. So I was really just asking <laughs> advice selfishly, but mm -hmm. I, I actually had a similar experience as you where I was side hustling for a few years when I got laid off and I was already, I was out the door already. I didn't mm -hmm. even care about the job very much. So it was kind of a blessing to, to get out of there and it didn't, yeah, it didn't impact my identity at all. So good. Yeah. So another follow-up question, kind of along the same lines as Doug is, uh, one thing I realized, I found Phi, and it wasn't to live a better life. It was just to escape this this situation that was very stressful. My job was stressful and not good. Uh, but then I realized, like, what am I going to do when I achieve this thing? It's the old thing about the dog. What does the dog do when it actually catches the car? And that was kind of my dilemma. And it actually gave me a lot of anxiety and stress. Do you have any, building on what Doug asked, do you have any recommendations for people on how to find their passions or maybe trying to figure out what they want to do when their job is done. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that can come naturally, right? Like a lot of people on the five path, when you find it, you're going down all the rabbit holes in the blogs, you're reading everything you can. And eventually, you know, the debt gets paid off, you're building up the savings, you're maxing things out. But after maybe a couple years, it becomes really automated. Like you already know, okay, all my accounts are maxed out, I have no debt. I know what I'm going to do as soon as I need to for my Roth conversion ladder. I know what I'm going to do here. And so your mental energy and space is just like, well, I'm not going to read another blog on this again. Um, and I think we've naturally, as much as we are, are grateful to the Fi community for what we've built, and we're still active members of the Fi community. We chat with people a bunch on Twitter. Um, you know, we're not reading every single article that comes out anymore because we just don't have the time. And it's, it's stuff we're like, okay, yeah, we, we understand that. Um, when there's updates to tax codes, when there there's new strategies, anything healthcare related, we're really interested in. But our mental time has freed up a lot. We don't think about FI as much as we used to, because we're kind of like, well, we're kind of on autopilot, you know, like we would always look forward to our quarterly budget reviews and, you know, have wine and chocolate and we're going to go over our finances. And that was, that was a big thing because it was also new and we were like, oh, we're going to create this tab now to project things out. But now it's more just like, okay, well, we thought we would hit this number by this quarter and we did. So, all right. I'm still going to drink my wine, have my chocolate, but 
it just doesn't take as much time. So there, you find a lot of mental energy freed up from just thinking about getting to Phi on the way. And then you slowly start to realize like, so what else am I going to focus my attention and energies on? And I think that's where the space opens up to find those passions. Like, I think for us, the biggest thing for us was just saying like, we had, there were several weeks in a row where like somebody was launching a book in the Phi space and they were on every single Phi podcast, all of them, which of course we were listening to all of them. And I was like, can we just, I can't, I can't listen to this person four, four more times this week. Like they're great. We're excited. We're we already are getting the book from the library. Um, and so we realized we're like, well, I guess there's other podcasts we could listen to. There's other interests we could be exploring. And so for my husband, he started to listen to more like biohacking type podcasts of people who are trying to really increase their longevity and and um, optimize their fitness and their health. And he really enjoyed that. And he was like, oh, I guess I should I should listen to these more. Um, and so kind of realizing some of the mental energy we were giving to reaching Phi and learning all the things, well, we we learned what we, we sought out to learn and, and we've optimized. So we have space now to focus on those things. And I, I think anybody on the pacify who's thinking they're never going to find what they want to do, like, you will, you'll have time, you'll have mental energy, and maybe you won't find like your life's calling passion, but you'll find something that's interesting, at least for a bit. And you'll go down that rabbit hole and see what's there to see. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, in the show notes, we talked a little bit ahead of time about how passions change. And uh, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, maybe migration. Uh, has that happened with you? Is what you has anything changed what you did initially to what you do now? And I know you've got a child, so that was a big change, obviously. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, when we first found five, we were all in. We were like, "This, this is our thing. This is our jam. Like, this is what we. This is our identity. Is like we're we're in the fire community. We're all about it. We can't wait to go to the camps and meet people and and check people out and chat with them on Twitter. And so we still do those things, but I think we're realizing our identity can't just be our financial status. Um, and, and for as much as there's really great people in the community who are continuing to contribute great content, that makes sense for them. But I don't, I wouldn't think that they only identify as just Phi. They're like, well, I'm a writer, I'm a blogger, I'm an author, I do all these things around this topic, but that's their identity. Whereas for us, for a while, we're like, oh, we're Phi. Like, that's, that's what we do. That's, we just have, we've saved a lot of money and we don't spend a lot of money. That's what we do. Um, and so I think we naturally just progress to say, well, what else? Like we really enjoy this community. We really enjoy everything we learned here. Like, what else are we not learning about? What else are we not doing? Um, and so I think it was a natural progression. As we said, you know, we've hit our our benchmark fine number for that 4% withdrawal rate. We hit the, the stretch goal. Um, and so now we've just naturally kind of said, okay, well, we need to focus our energies elsewhere. We can't just keep ticking the box of these different financial goals because it's that's the diminishing returns, right? We don't get as excited anymore because we're like, well, it's on autopilot. Um, and so that's naturally led us to explore other interests in our life and given me more freedom to explore and, and create more content um, around writing and publishing and something I'm, I'm also really passionate about. Um, and I try to bring some, some FI mentality, try, try to trickle it in there. Um, but definitely having the mental freedom to not worry about money anymore has given me the ability to be creative elsewhere. What is one thing that you're going to spend a lot of money on this year? You mentioned you, you prefer experiences to stuff. Do you have any big trips planned, maybe to Colorado or anywhere else? Or so? Um, so this year, we don't have any trips planned just because our daughter, um, she's going to be eight months next week. So she is uh, super adorable. And it's one of the things where we're like, we could travel with her. Oh, we could not. Um, so this year we're actually, the thing we're spending on is our health more than anything else. So, um, my husband, his back just started hurting him a lot. And I was like, go to the chiropractor, spend the money on it, like get your back right. So that way when we can 
you know, sign up for races, when we can travel again, we can hike and all those things like you're feeling fit and we can keep up with our daughter as she's running around. Um, I spent a good amount of money on my glasses and contacts this year because usually with insurance, you can get one or the other in a given year. So for the past like five years, I've only gotten contacts, but I keep getting a new increased prescription for glasses. And I said this year, putting my money down, getting my glasses. Um, so we're, we're, we're saving, we're accruing a nice amount. So we, when we do travel out to Colorado um, and elsewhere, we'll be able to do that. But we're, we're really focusing on our health this year because we can't enjoy experiences without our health. Um, but yes, we are focused on being able to save for some nice experiences. Um, and knowing when we have, when we're traveling with a little one, we're probably going to rent the SUV, not the sedan. Um, we get a rental car. We're going to maybe get a nicer hotel room um, that has room for her and, um, definitely has breakfast included um, and things like that. So, Has it been hard to sort of shift gears to spend a little bit more? We were, Carl and I were just at a Camp Fi recently and that was one of the conversations, kind of like you said, we've covered the basics. A lot of us have a little more freedom with what we can spend and it's tough from saving for almost our whole lifetimes, a lot of us are fairly frugal anyway. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, flipping the switch, like, oh, it's okay to get contacts or, you know, upgrade your glasses, which seems like, you know what, I don't wear glasses or contacts, but it seems like you should spend money on those. So anyway, that's the question. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. And we've, we've even gone beyond that. So we've said, you know, we are at a phase in our lives where, you know, he still enjoys his job, he has his job, I'm bringing in money. And we know that, that, could end. Um, and you know, the next couple of years of, we really think, no, we want to hit the road and show our daughter all the national parks. And if the job doesn't like it, okay, well then maybe we're, we're just saying goodbye on his side for that. And we're going to have to be a bit more frugal again. And so we're like, you know what, let's be a bit more spendiferous uh, right now. Let's, let's spend a little bit more. And so we actually, in our, in our financial review that we did last week, cause it was the beginning of a new quarter. Um, we talked about what are the nice things we'd like to have now? What are what are the things that would make life a little bit easier and a little bit nicer? And um, you know, we're probably gonna spend a bit more on having groceries delivered in. Doesn't sound very sexy, but you know what? When you have a little one who doesn't like being in her car seat, it's a lifesaver. Um, and so like these little luxuries we're just adding in, and it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel like we're, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. We're just, we're spending a bit more consciously. Whereas I think there's a lot of people who, you know, are not in the FI community, are not very focused on the finances. They're probably just blindly spending on this and like, cool, of course, of course, that's what I would do. Um, whereas for us, it's a very intentional spend um, and to save time. And I think we've realized that we're going to spend more money to save more time. And that's always worth it to us. So those little things um, we're at, we're slowly adding in and we'll see if next quarter review for like, Oh no, that's too much. We're going to cut it all back. But for, for at least this next quarter, we're going to, we're going to do stuff like that. That's cool. And, and it's something you could test if you realize, Hey, that didn't make me as happy as I thought it was going mm -hmm. to. I like, you know, going to the store or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask you about happiness. Um, uh, it, has Phi Life increased your happiness? Are you happier now doing what you want to be doing without the job? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's definitely made it easier, right? It's just one worry that's been removed. And I think now having a child, um, you know, there's so many things to worry about when you have a kid. Are they doing this? Are they developing fast enough? Are they 
eating the right foods? Can they eat this food? Like there's so many things to worry about. Um, but I don't worry about, you know, if she had to go to the ER for some reason, you know, she needed stitches because she bump, bumped her head or something. Okay. I, I would take care of it. I would literally have no, no qualms um, because she would need it. And so when, when she was born, actually, she had a very bad reaction to pretty much everything I was eating. Um, so for the past eight months, I haven't been able to have any dairy or any soy. And dairy is kind of easy to cut in our society. Soy is really hard to cut. Um, you have to be super intentional about everything that you eat. And so for me, it, I was like, done. Like, I, I'll, I'll eat cardboard for the rest of my life, like whatever it takes to make this baby girl feel good. Um, but it was obviously very difficult to cut it out. And the only kind of formula that you could get that would be no dairy and no soy is crazy expensive, crazy expensive because soy is in everything. Um, and so we thankfully didn't have to resort to that. But I was like, if that's what it took, I, I would have done whatever I needed to. I would have gotten a pallet of that stuff to make sure she had it. And so it was nice to then know that like, okay, she could have these issues. And now obviously she's eating great. I'm eating nothing, but it's fine. Um, I'm eating a lot of just whole clean foods. It's fine. I will have pizza again one day. Um, but, you know, it's nice to know that of all the other things that we have to worry about with a child, the financial aspect isn't one of them. And that if she needed some kind of therapies or she needed a specialist doctor, no problems, no qualms about it financially. We're going to make sure she has what she needs. And I know a lot of families have children who aren't healthy and that is an extra burden on them. And I'm glad that should that happen, which hopefully it never does, that that we don't have that financial burden. Um, so that is very much a relief on our end that we can give her what she needs when she needs it. Okay. I have one last question for you. Uh, can anyone achieve financial independence? I, be I believe so. Um, and I think it, it all goes back to what is that number amount that's going to make you financially independent, right? If you're already used to living a lean lifestyle and that's what you're going to live forever and you can commit to that, sure. Um, I think I think in our society, there's, there's obviously a lot of talk about the haves and have nots. And there's certainly people who are born into very tough financial circumstances where financial independence, the way that I live it, may not be available, but the way that they envision it, right? Maybe it's just they own their home, they own the place where they live, and that's good enough. And they they maybe don't want to have fancy trips because they just want to be near their family. Um, I think I think it depends on what they define as that financial independence and what's a priority to them. But I do think it is possible. Um, and not without some hard work, not without some luck too on certain things, but I do think it is possible. And I always want I always want the discussion around it to be positive and that, yes, you you could achieve this because I know there's several people in our community who say, no, some people will never achieve it and you shouldn't say it's for everybody because that's not fair and that's ignoring their challenges. It's like, well, a lot of people who've been born with challenges or born into tough situations have reached five. So it, it is possible. Um, and, and I always want to keep that rhetoric very positive because I think people need that positive message because it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy to decide to when your friends go out to eat that you're just going to order water. It's not easy to decide that, you know, everybody's going to Cabo. You coming? <laughs> nope. Bye. Um, you know, it's it's not easy to to make the decisions that we're making and being part of the community is what makes it a bit easier. Um, but it, it definitely is possible. And I always I always appreciate the people who show that that anything is possible type mindset than the no, some people can't do it. You know, you should, you shouldn't brag about this. You, you should, you should say it's not possible for everybody. Like, no, it's possible for everybody on, on a, a long enough time frame and, and with enough effort. I think so. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And 
even if your goal isn't financial independence, if you're one of those people say, I love my job, I'm going to be doing this forever, it's super secure. There's tremendous value in in getting the underlying concepts and and learning about those, getting your financial house in order, learning how to budget. If you have issues with that, learning how to invest. So even if financial independence isn't for you, learn about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a YouTube channel. And can you tell us a little about it? Uh, what do you talk about there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I talk about self-publishing, writing, kind of the nitty gritty details for authors who are saying, you know, I want to get my first book out, but I have no clue what to do after I write the book. Like, I get, I get that I have to write it. What else do I have to do? Um, so I go into a lot of those details. And it was initially something I created to kind of answer for that limited time I had when I had my corporate job. People kept asking me for help. Uh, I would spend a lot of time writing back long email messages, looking up, researching things for them. That wasn't viable. And I didn't feel right just sending a canned response. Like, here you go. Um, and so I made the YouTube channel. I thought, well, I'll take a couple minutes. I'll make a video, put it up there. That's more personable. And, you know, I kept doing that every week. And eventually, more people who I didn't know started following. Um, and it's turned into a really great community, actually, where I'm able to help these first-time authors realize their goal of becoming um, an author and and give them the answers they need. So that way, they don't get ripped off because there's a lot of people out there who see dollar signs. Um, get, get them what they need right away. A lot of people say, oh, the algorithm, you have to have videos this long. And I'm like, I'm going to give you the exact answer you need. And if that doesn't work for the algorithm, too bad. So sad. Like that, that's what people want. I'm not going to give them a bunch of fluff. Um, and it's it's been really fun. So over at Author Your Ambition, or if you just look MK Williams, if you're interested in writing a book, check it out. I have lots of videos. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll link up to that so it's easy for folks to find. Cool. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience? No, just um, if you if you're in the Fi community, you you found good people, you found a good place. Um, like any community, we've got some weirdos, but we all embrace being a weirdo in this community, so it's, it's all a good thing. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you so much, MK. Okay.